Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kosima Ali. Hi, I'm Hatem Aldawi, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Priya Ahmed, and you're listening to Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Bashar Malik, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm Tanya Hardcastle. And you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hey, what's going on? It is Sly King, and you are listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hello, I'm Lydia Kirkland, and you're listening to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hello, I'm Abigail Chewitt, and you're listening to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Bereavement Room Podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're doing well. You can find Bereavement Room on social media. The handle is at Bereavement Room on Twitter and Instagram. You can also vote for Bereavement Room in the British Podcast Awards for the listener's choice. I'll link it into the episode show notes. Please give Bereavement Room a vote. I know how much this podcast means to you all, and this would really be the cherry on the cake for the final season. In the United Kingdom, today is a day of celebration and remembrance. It is Father's Day. People across Britain will be gathering to celebrate and remember their dads and father figure role models. I would also like to acknowledge that many people will find today hard if they never had a relationship with their father, are estranged or have a painful relationship, or perhaps never met their dad. Father's Day can throw up so many things, thinking of you all today. As you know, I was close to my dad. He was the most consistent person in my life, a very present father. My heart will always be grateful for the time I had, though I will always wish for him to be here right now. Instead of going to the cemetery, I would have much preferred to be spending it sharing a box of fried chicken and chips. In many ways, I'm also quite apathetic about today as I never really grew up celebrating Father's Day to be honest. But I appreciate for so many families, today is a day of celebration, remembrance and will also pain. In tribute of Father's Day, I am pleased to announce that today's guest is Abigail Chewitt. Abby is from Croydon. She qualified as a barrister in 2016, experienced in both media and immigration law. Outside of cocktails, her biggest interest is travelling to different Caribbean islands to take part in carnival in full costume. Abby has joined me in the room to talk about the loss of her father, who died suddenly, the impact it had on her mental health and emotional well-being, the intersection between grief and travel, and the loss she now carries in her backpack. As always, please look after yourself while you're tuned in today, and thank you for listening. I am your host, Kosima Ali. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining us. I'm pleased to say I'm joined by today's guest, Abigail Chewitt. She's in the room to talk to me about the loss of her father. Hi, Abigail. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no, you're so welcome. I feel like we've been talking for quite a while now and um, it's just brilliant that we can make, make this happen. I, you know, I love Bereavement Room. I love that we have such a diverse range of guests that come onto the podcast to share their experiences. I think it's really important that we're able to have these open mm. com- conversations. 
um, and because we have been talking for a while, we sort of connected on, um, we have something in common, obviously, you know, grief and death, the loss of a father. Yeah. Uh, but we talked about death anniversaries actually at one point. When yeah, we, we did. Chatting. Yeah. So when did your dad die? What year was it? So that was 2016 that he passed away. Um, okay. I, I think that was before your father, wasn't it? Or um, So I think the death anniversary we had in common was that my mum died on the 11th of oh, yes. de- December 2010. So was it the 11th of December, your dad? Yes, eleventh of December. Yeah, that was okay. our common, yeah. our common, our common <laughs> ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really spooky. I was like, oh, this is you know, when you connect with people. I was just thinking, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. No, it is a bit weird because <laughs> I feel like that's my that's my doomsday. That's my terrible day. And to know that there's someone else who shares it, it sounds it sounds silly, but to know that there's someone out there who experienced, you know, similar to what I did on the same day it's yeah it's quite weird isn't it it is a bit of a weird one and slightly Mm. comforting as well yeah definitely yeah so that was kind of nice in a weird way (laughs) that we (laughs) connected like that was just like oh yeah I'm miserable on this day as well yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, so tell me a little bit more about you like where you're from where you grew up you know introduce yourself to my listeners okay well hi everyone um I'm Abigail. I'm from Croydon. Um, that's where I live, born and bred. Um, my heritage is my mum is from Barbados. And my dad is from Montserrat. Um, so two very small islands in the Caribbean. Um, a little bit about me. Uni, I studied law with politics, um, went to law school, called to the bar, um, did a few bits in between, you know, traveling, various mm-hmm. jobs. And now I work for a government legal department. Um, I won't talk about that anymore and yeah so it sounds boring but I do try and kind of you know have fun where I can but that's me. So are you a lawyer then? You you went to the bar and you you are at the you've qualified. Yeah barrister at law yeah. Ah okay wow congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Amazing achievement. Um, Was your dad around for that when you went to the bar or? Yes, yeah, so funnily, well, I just, not funnily enough, but funnily enough, he, um, I got called to the bar, I think, two weeks before he passed away. Aww. And actually, the last time I saw him was when um, my pictures came through the post. So that was Aww. literally the, um, so like the, the, I saw him the day before he passed away. And and yeah the pictures came in the post and so we got to share that moment together and he was obviously you know insanely proud of me mm. um so it was those pictures are really really special to me because it kind of marks ultimately my goodbye to him because I didn't I didn't get to have one so that yeah that's that's really special to me sorry to get into the grief stuff so quickly no, <laughs> it just kind of flowed there yeah no that's we we hate small talk on this podcast, so that's yeah. great. We, we like to go <laughs> right there. Yeah, yeah. What's that like for you when you opened that envelope and saw the pictures? Oh, that was special because I was just so proud. I think mm. I had the ambition um, to kind of follow this career path since I was about ten or eleven, and I kind of kind of just followed it blindly, not really expecting the day to ever come where I achieved it. So having had kind of the passion and done work experience like throughout my teenage years, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally 
getting to that point when I was what 23 it's a, it's a long time um so yeah it was just pride and obviously my family was around me to support me and um share their pride as well so it was yeah it was a lovely moment mm. and did you always want to be a lawyer is it something your parents kind of guided you to well I think typical with you know back in Asian families you kind of very much encouraged to you know be a doctor be a lawyer be an accountant and that's kind of it so I wasn't they didn't necessarily tell me I think I just kind of fell there I thought oh you know this could be a good career I can end up being really rich um I was wrong all these things like I'm good at talking <laughs> I'm good at arguing let me go in yeah like let me go and do this so it just kind of happened and obviously there's not many parents out there who are going to discourage their child from wanting to become a lawyer so it kind of just kind of just happened yeah that's true um yeah. uh, my niece is a lawyer and um I just remember when she was at university, she used to talk about mooting or looting. Is it mo- um, not looting? Mooting. Oh, okay. Sorry. Mooting's bad. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. Um, mooting. She used to talk about that. And um, yeah, no, yeah, like yeah. Carry on. She used to say, "Oh my god, crazy things would happen," but they were really scared of her when she'd go up and it was her turn because uh, apparently oh. she was really good at mooting and people were scared to face her. But I didn't quite, oh, really? yeah, and I didn't quite. I don't. I'm not in law, so I don't. When she explains these things to me, I try to, my hardest to understand what the studies and trainings are like. But uh, I, I think that was her strength, and she quite enjoyed that. But it oh. seemed like it seemed like people feared her. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, I just find that interesting. Well, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, it's not a bad thing at all, um, and I guess it was an advantage for her. But I, I don't mm. know, I don't know too much about law. I just know what my niece tells me, and it, <laughs> <laughs> and it is true that um, parents will they will encourage you. My sister very much encouraged her to mm. to take that path, that, um, and she seems oh, to enjoy good. it. Yeah. So well, well done. Congratulations. I think it's really, really Thank important, you. and. You know, I want to hear a bit more about your dad. Um, he sounds very lovely. So tell me, what was your relationship like with your father? Um, we had a really, really good relationship. Um, he was a traditional kind of Caribbean man. He was firm. He was fun. He was very wise. Um, and so he took a lot of pride in kind of teaching myself and, and my sister you know, like good morals, strong work ethic. Um, and he made sure, I think he made sure to kind of make sure that we were really independent and and fearless, educated young women. I think that was very much his kind of main, main ambition um, in life, or that I saw anyway. Um, mm. You know, he was really loving. Um, he was a good, good, good dad and a good husband to my mum as well. Um, I remember he used to describe himself as like, captain of the chip but I do remember times when he would like introduce us as his princesses so I guess that kind of shows that he had like a hard and a soft side to him um which made like the soft times even more special um I think and we both very very similar you know um very stubborn very opinionated um so you know we would clash sometimes but for the most part, it was like a loving, very much, you know, 
daddy and, and princess type relationship because I was the youngest um, mm. biological child. Um, so that it was a, it was a nice dynamic between us. Um, he wasn't one of those dads who would kind of explicitly say, you know, oh, I love you. I think when I actually try to think about it, I can probably only remember like maybe two or three times that he actually, I actually heard the words, you know, oh, I love you. But, you know, you just felt it with the actions mm. um, and the things that he did and the things that he said. Oh, that's, he just sounds so lovely. So what, what is grief like for you now? You know, it's, you know, your dad died in 2016. He was obviously very present mm. in your life. And I get yeah. the whole thing, the, the princess thing and you being the youngest. I think a hierarchy in families is something that is very present in my own family. And as the youngest daughter, I, my dad probably doted on me more than mm. he did the others. Um what you know that can be awkward sometimes if during the dinner table is always (laughs) a running joke oh dad loves you more than (laughs) other you know us and he spoils you and you know you're like I I remember that joke yeah (laughs) what's the dynamic like then between you and your sisters because there's a lot of favoritism in my family unintentionally I think especially (laughs) when you're the youngest yeah (laughs) I mean it wasn't it wasn't like rife competition I'd say so I grew up so I grew up with my full sister um, until we were about 10, 11. Then we start, well, my parents started fostering children. Um, so we've looked after loads of children over the years. <clears throat> and then he also has um, children from an earlier marriage. So I've got some half siblings. Mm. I didn't grow up with them. They're a lot older than me. Um, mm they weren't present in my childhood the way my my closest sister is I don't think it affects the dynamic between us I don't think it affected the dynamic in the household I we did used to make jokes kind of like it was me and dad against my mum and my sister because they're very similar and then me and my dad were very similar Mm. so I did kind of feel like that was my my buddy in the house like I was a lot closer to my dad than perhaps I am to my mum so and then it's probably the opposite for my sister so we've got very different experiences of grief I think even though we had the same dad that's really interesting um I can definitely resonate with that uh Mm. we we do have different experiences uh with our parents Uh, the experience I had with my mum was complete opposite of the experience I had with my dad uh I was quite I was quite close to my dad not that I wasn't with my mum it was just they were very different in the way that they parented I guess yeah there is a dynamic there, but not in a negative way. Family system is interesting. Um, and mm. the rela- relationships that we have with our siblings and parents. And you mentioned there that we all grieve in different ways. So h- how did you grieve in comparison to your sister? Oh, that's a good question. Um, my grieving process was all over the place, really. So when when my dad passed away, my, well, my bedroom was and still is um, downstairs. When it happened, obviously, you know, all the family's there all the time. You don't get a minute to yourself. And my room was kind of like the hub of the household for some reason. So, like, all the young people, like my friends and my sister's friends, would just be in my room all day, all night, all the time. And then um, kind of like the older people, like the aunties and whoever would be in the dining room, like with my mum and perhaps the kids, the children as well. Um, So I didn't really have space I think, to process anything because it was just go, go, go. From the moment it was, you know, everyone at the house, 
everyone's in my room. I had no space. I had to mm. plan the funeral. Um, kind of very militant with it. And then, you know, the funeral came around a month later. I started my brand new job, like my first quote unquote real professional job, I think two weeks after the funeral. Oh, wow. And then trying my best, I know. And then just trying my best to kind of live my life ultimately. I didn't I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to process it. I just thought, okay, well, I have to go to work, so I better go to work. And um until I had a breakdown about six months later. And but we'll get into that. But my sister, on the other hand, her room was um, you know, like the loft room. So she was all the way at the top of the house. She and she told me once that she quite liked the fact that she could obviously go up and have her sanctuary, then come down and be around people. But mm. I didn't like it um, because everyone was just in my space constantly. And I, instead of people comforting me, which they were, but I had to deal with obviously other people being upset. I had to deal with kind of hosting. I had to, you know, I don't know how well I did, but I had to make sure, you know, anyone wants a drink, they had drinks you know, if they wanted snacks, you know, I, I just had to make sure everyone was okay because they were in my space. Um, and my sister quite liked the idea that she, the fact that she didn't really have to do that. She could just come down and be in it. And my sister also didn't go back to work for a very long time. So our, um, oh, wow. yeah, our grief processes were quite inverse, I'd say, because um, mm. I got straight back on it because mm. I thought that I had no choice. Um, my sister's job were a bit more flexible, I guess, and she, she didn't go back to work for a little while. Um, I'd probably say a few months, if I remember correctly. Um, so I don't feel like I had the chance to really grieve. And I think that's why I ended up breaking down kind of pretty soon after, because it was just it was just too much. Like I would end up finding myself in tears, like randomly on the train home. I'd just sit there. A song might come on on my playlist and I'd just burst into tears and I'd be like, oh, crap looking at me this is really bad so I didn't really have a process I didn't know what was going on I just had to deal with it yeah of course there's no mm. right or wrong way to grieve and exactly. it's, it's not like anyone teaches us about grief they didn't teach us that no. in school no uh, not at all and yeah that's a real contrast between you and your sister um, that she had some time off uh, um, mm. And you just started what is a very important part of your life, your your real, you know, first professional job, um, mm. where you do have to show up and not exactly. show any <laughs> vulnerability or emotion. And what was that like for you showing up? I mean, you say you cried on the train on the way home. I can definitely resonate with crying on the yeah. train. <laughs> oh, God. It's not um, nice, did, does, did anyone notice or give you a tissue or ask you what's wrong or...? No, people are horrible. <laughs> yeah, they're nasty, aren't they? People are horrible, yeah. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't wailing, but, you know, tears were flowing down my face quite noticeably. <laughs> so I just kind of wiped them away and just kind of looked out the window. Yeah, but no one, everyone's in their own world, aren't they? So I'm, I'm not sure if anyone noticed. Um, I feel like surely someone must have, but it just was probably a bit awkward. <laughs> it is. I just don't think in our society anyone kind of, I know it's in public spaces, but the worst someone's going to say to you is, I don't need your tissues. I don't need, you know, yeah. this pie, you know, but at least it's like, there's nothing wrong with saying to someone, look, are you okay? I can see that you're upset. I don't understand why 
as human beings, we're like that because the amount of times I've seen someone crying randomly on the street, in the supermarket, <laughs> on the train, I'd be a millionaire yeah. about a pound for every time I saw that. Oh. And nobody says anything. And I always make a point now because I've been that person on the train. Oh, you know, let me just ask that person if they're okay. I'm not mm. going to take it personally if they tell me to get lost. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I 100% agree because I... I would do the same if I saw anyone kind of in despair or not just looking upset, but noticeably crying. Of course I'd ask them. And that kind of goes back to my dad as well. Like he used to say, it's nice to be nice. That was his motto. Um, I've actually got it tattooed. Um, A few of us do um, in my family as well. So I do, I try my best to live by that now as well. I just don't understand why anyone wouldn't. (laughs) And you, and you say that you had this six month breakdown are you able to talk a little bit about what that looked like for you um for me it was just a deep sense of I think loss and and confusion and I think the main the main thing about grief well my experience of grief is losing someone that was so integral to you know, my day-to-day life, it really made me question what my purpose was. Mm. So when I say integral, I mean, I had a great experience with my dad, a great family, like, quote-unquote, stable unit. Like, my dad passed away when I was, what, 23? And he still used to knock on my door every morning and ask me, oh, do you want breakfast? Do you want a lift to the station? Like, a lift to go to work? like integral to the T and so when you lose that suddenly and unexpectedly it does I think it made me question my existence I was like right so fine I was you know studying to you know get a good job to make my parents proud to make my dad proud but now that he's gone what's what's the point you know what what am I supposed to do now how am I supposed to just carry on support my mum support my sister and everyone else who who misses him I just I didn't I didn't understand it and to be fair thinking about it now and knowing that we're nearly five years post I still don't know what my purpose is really I still don't know how I've made it this far um but you kind of just you just find the strength to keep going you just you just have to and it's what it's done for me as well is it's it's made it's built up my faith in the afterlife which I didn't have before so I used to be extremely um adamant that you know everyone's everyone can kind of you know people have their faith so people obviously have their different religions and they believe they well they believe what they believe but I kind of questioned or was quite strong in the opinion that you know there was no afterlife because there are so many different opinions of of where people go after they die or where their soul goes. How do we know what's right? Like, what if, you know, you have one view and that becomes true for you because that's what you believe. I just didn't know. Um, And I'm not sure if he believed in the afterlife either, but I hold on to that now because I refuse to believe that there's just no chance that our souls would, would meet again or have, you know, not have an interaction again. Um, I don't want to believe that someone can live a life and a, a full life and then, you know, just die and, and that's it. 
um, I think that's important what you've said there about faith. So do you practice a specific faith? No, I think I think I use the, the word faith in a loose sense. So it's not not quite spirituality. A um, okay, spirituality. Yeah, spirituality. Sorry, yeah. Okay, and was your dad spiritual at all? Um, <laughs> maybe a little. He was. I think I remember him going to church maybe like once a year, maybe when it was Easter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but he, I think he he did believe in God. He just wasn't super religious like he didn't he didn't make an effort to to practice his christianity um but i i know that he believed in in god but he wasn't he i think he just got on with life it wasn't like the center of his existence um like it is for some people um but i think he did have you know that core that's where his morals and his core set of values came from his religion i believe Mm. and I think mm. faith, faith is a very individual experience it's a personal relationship with the higher being or God or what your belief system is um mm. some, some people you can see obviously practice it and others it's more in their spiritual way of being how they treat human beings or go about their daily daily business mm. um that's interesting so coming back to the breakdown um mm. how did that kind of occur was it one day at work did, you know what happened I to be fair a lot of my my memories well, some of my memories are quite blurred so so that that time in particular I don't I don't remember a distinct day where I quite literally broke down because I had a lot of those days where <clears throat> you know it was just full of tears I felt like I couldn't function I was because I had been highly functioning every day for so many months for months and months and months mm. um and you know I would have my cries sometimes I used to sit in my car and just scream um but I think <laughs> I don't remember the exact day of this you know flood of tears but I think I just remember thinking I actually I can't get out of bed today. I can't, I can't do it. I can't talk to anyone. I can't listen to anyone, you know, speak about things that I just don't care about because I was like, my world has literally crumbled. Like I've lost mm. one of the most important things to me mm. and I don't know, I don't want to be here. So what, what can I do about that? Um, so that was really difficult kind of like just the realisation of, feel well yeah feeling suicidal ultimately um okay. Okay. I just didn't want to be here so I thought yeah you had suicide ideation okay Def yeah definitely and so then then I went to the doctors because I thought well you know I can't have that so I went to the doctors um I was signed off work for a couple of weeks and then um and then I quit my job okay yeah, I came home one day. I think I was thinking about it on the way home and I was like, this this isn't life. This is not how I want to live my life. Mm, um, I, I need I need space. I need time. I thought, Do you know what? I'm done. So I came home and I told I told my family, I was like, hmm, I'm going to quit my job and go travelling. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> they, they probably just didn't take me seriously. And then I handed in my notice, I think, the next day. I was like, yeah, I'm off. Good for you. Can I just yeah. say a massive clap? <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant. Oh, uh, yeah. 
you were so self-aware in that moment about your suicidal thoughts and you know how you're living your life and what your needs were and how to meet your needs of brilliant good feeling mm. thank you I'm, I'm glad you said that actually because I, I felt as though I was only been self-aware lately but you know to get that affirmation from you that's nice it's just <laughs> been self-aware-ish for a little while <laughs> No, that's brilliant. It takes a lot to make a decision like that, uh, uh, particularly when we live in a world where, you know, status and job titles mean so much to people, mm. this constant external validation. And you did yeah. something for yourself there in a moment of, you know, a huge loss in your life. Uh, mm. uh, so what? So your mum was okay with it, your sister was okay with it, and you, you went travelling where? Um. So first of all, they had no choice but to be okay with it because... Um, I was a nothing, nothing was going to stop me. Once I made my mind up, that's it. Um, my mum was obviously worried. Um, she wrote me a lovely letter actually, just saying how proud she was and how brave I am. Um, and she was obviously nervous. Um, but it was fine. I went traveling around Southeast Asia. Um, I literally never been to that part of the world. I just thought, you know, mm. try something new. And I just, I booked, um, I booked an open ticket and I was like, right, I'll, I'll be back when I'm back, <laughs> when the money <laughs> runs out. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. Yeah. And what was that like for you? Did, was it like, because solo traveling is something that I think there's an intersection with grief. It was for mm. me when my mum died. I talked a little bit about that previously on the podcast. Would you say there was an intersection? Did it come into your grief? Did it, was it healing for you? Oh, massively massively healing I think without that time um I, I don't know I'd be a completely different person now um I think it came at the right time for me um, and it gave me exactly what I needed it gave me that space and that disconnect from you know the real world as I said I didn't I felt as though I didn't really have a chance to breathe um after my dad passed away it was constant survival just constant people yeah yeah that's it survival um and literally that's what it is day to day I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of energy that it takes to just show up mm. um so I, I didn't have to do that anymore I could just I could at least try and have fun I mean I've always loved traveling um but I got to experience a new part of the world I got to meet um you know lovely people and just hop around um experience new things like I did things that I just never thought I would have the opportunity to do and it it gave me space to kind of just sit in nature and um, which is one of my favorite things to do and just be present you know I could sit there and I could cry by myself I didn't need to worry about um you know trying to be strong for anyone else I got to be vulnerable in my grief and just experience it and I think that was that's been a massive part part of it for me just understanding that right you know you you have to just sit with it sometimes it's mm -hmm. no use just trying to shrug it off and, and be strong um so that was a wonderful experience for me and I remember it was weird I always had I'm not, I'm not gonna say a hallucination but I remember being at like a some kind of bar or something one day and I was sat there and I was really upset about 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 it and I was missing my dad and I was just thinking oh what would he say if he knew that I was just on the other side of the world roaming the streets by myself and I kind of <laughs> I just <laughs> I just saw him really really clearly in my head almost like he was actually there and he just he said I'm so proud of you and he winked at me um 
he used to do this wink like when he was happy or when he was excited and I saw that and I literally got chills down my whole body I was like oh my god but I feel like I needed that moment it made me feel like I was just like he was there and I think that's the first time I felt also I'm getting a bit upset I think that's the first time I felt you know like he's with me (laughs) thank you because I think when you lose someone you think oh god you know people tell you oh you know they're with you and you think oh shut up would you know um but I felt it and I saw him and I was like yeah he's here so I think that that's very comforting it sounds very comforting uh you described it as a hallucination or an epiphany but he came to you in that moment and he was very present with Mm. you in that moment yeah yeah very present (laughs) it was it was lovely actually you know as much as you know that made me a bit choked up it was you need things like that and even sometimes to this day I will if I'm feeling sad I'm not going to shrug it off you know I go to the cemetery and I sit there and I talk to him I feel a bit stupid sometimes but I talk to him I listen to his favorite music or I listen to songs that remind me of him and I just experience my grief and it's quite it comes with a lot of emotions. I mean, we, we could talk all day, to be honest. It comes with a lot of emotions. But, yeah, I, I think I needed that um, escape from the real world to just process how I felt Absolutely. and how I wanted my life going forward. Yeah. Absolutely. And grief is love. All that emotion in the grief. This mm. is how, you know, the wonderful relationship you had with your father and then the loss of that. Mm. And uh, there will be so yeah. much emotion and there will be talking, uh, you know, when I go to cemetery, I see a lot of people that just park themselves um, at the yeah. grave, <laughs> grave site. I see that a lot, especially during Eid. Yeah. The last Eid, when I okay. went to cemetery, oh my gosh, there was this one dad, his, his child died and he just brought a folding oh. chair and he was just there and sitting there and um you do see that a lot in the cemetery and I, I think that's quite normal um and, yeah and you find that helpful is. you find that helpful sitting in the cemetery and talking to your dad um I think I do because for me it's, it's all I've got left you know I it's apart from it's it's the closest I'm ever going to be to him mm. yeah hey again which is it's quite a scary thought to kind of think you know I've got a lot of people who I love and I can just go and chat, speak to them I can go and give them a hug and I think it, it's still crazy for me to think that I'll, I'll never see his physical body again and I think it's quite it's it's comforting to be that close to him in in that kind of way um and when he when he passed away as well I used to go to the chapel of rest all the time um and just just sit there, just cry, just look at him, just confused, I guess. Um, but it, I don't know. I, I don't think it was comforting then, to be fair. Actually, looking back, I think I was just in a panic and I thought, oh God, you know, we're, we're going to bury him soon. I have to just see his physical body like as much as I can before I can never see it again. Mm. So it was, it, I was more in a state of panic. I think yeah. when I went to see him and I hear that um, then yeah as opposed to now obviously there's no panic now it's just you know it's done now I think but when I'm upset and I feel like I have no one to talk to I think I'll go there 
and I'll sit and I'll speak to him and usually I'll feel better mm. um so yeah it's, it's nice now mm. the state of panic that you describe I know that very well uh, mm. I, I had that with my dad and it was awful and I, and I was just like, I'm never going to see his physical self again. And because Muslim funerals are so blimming quick. Yes, and, uh, yes, I know. <laughs> that added to the layer. And I was just like, oh, my God. And, you know, I was just constantly at my sister. I was like, because I'm not going to see him. I'm not going to be there. I need to see, uh, I need to see him. And I just, honestly, I don't. I, I don't know how you did it. And, and to be fair, I've always um, thought that about people in the Muslim community. You know, how, how do you do it? How? I, I couldn't, I, I can't fathom the idea of, of just not having to, not being able to take my time. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, you must it, be a very, very strong woman. It's very frustrating. And I've tried to address mm. it in this podcast and I do think it is a bit of a taboo ish topic okay. uh, for some people because they've never really had to think about it and it's just a given. Mm. And I think it has um, provoked some thoughts on yes. the podcast when I have spoken about it because it is very very hard um mm. and, and that state of panic is just because uh, you will not see them in the physical form again mm. which kind of takes me down then because we talked about spirituality earlier on and that you believe yes. after life do you think you'll be reunited with your dad one day when you know when you think about your own mortality I better be that's <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hold on to. Um, if if I if I couldn't hold on to that thought, then I, I wouldn't get through this grieving process. To be honest, um, so you know, whoever's in control of that, they need to make it happen. Um, I really, uh, yes, I, I'm not religious, so I, I don't have any kind of words to hold on to. But I tell myself that in some way, shape, or form, you know, we will see each other again. Um, I don't quite know what that will look like um obviously when people imagine i don't know some form of heaven mm. you think of like floating bodies in the clouds that are all you know like white past I, I don't think it will look like that but no i don't know i just i hope that our souls will feel each other's love and you know and feel each other not in a physical sense but i don't know i don't know it's weird it's weird mm. it's a very philosophical question but in short, I hope that we are reunited again. I don't know if it will happen, but I really, really hope it does. Mm. It's interesting. Um, I have agree with you so much there. I hope we are all reunited mm. again in a much more a happier world. Um, yeah. Because there's just so much suffering in this world. And I... I I've had a dream about this and I don't know if it's just because I interview so many people and I do bereavement room, but I've had dreams where I've been reunited with my guests and I, I won't go really? to, yeah, and I won't, oh, I, I won't go into too much detail about that because I don't want to mention <laughs> which guests it is, but that's creepy. <laughs> it is. And I've had a, like one or two dreams where I'm like having dinner or going to a sporting event with like some of my former guests and we're all really happy and we're laughing about this time in this world and we had all this suffering oh my gosh yeah so I don't even know what that means but I grief dreams are very strong for me these days and you know I've I've been reading a lot about it as well getting lots of books and different thought processes and stuff um so you know I do hope we are send me those recommendations after please actually I will Um, will do yeah for sure (laughs) For sure. I think it's a really interesting topic, grief dreams, because everyone mm. dreams, right? 
yeah mm. that's that's a very good a very good point actually i've i've had a lot of dreams about my dad Have and you? i yeah and it happened every now and again but at the beginning they were it, it was constant um i guess that's because he was the only thing on my mind um but i used to hate them at the beginning because obviously dream my dreams are quite vivid or i can have very vivid dreams and oh i remember there was a dream that i had where he actually passed away in the dream but for some reason we were able to revive him and we were able to like have more time with him and we basically did all the things that we wanted to do before it was his time to pass away again hmm. but my dream ended before he actually passed away again so i woke up thinking oh my god yes like he's alive and i woke up in a panic like oh shit like where is he like what do i do and then it hits you and you're like oh crap. it was just a dream and i think that that those were the hardest parts of grief dreams for me because because i was still in um such a state of shock and disbelief and you know a part of me kind of didn't think it was real part of me thought oh you know he he he'll he'll come back one day don't worry about that um that, i guess that was my subconscious coping mechanism so because i didn't understand what was going on when i had those dreams i would for that time i would genuinely feel like he was still alive and i would wake up and for a split second think that nothing was wrong or nothing had changed so dealing with the disappointment kind of every day or every other day of just remembering like oh you know this is actually real i think that was those grief dreams were quite difficult for me but now it's it's they're usually happier experiences it's mm. usually just you know just like a random dream like he's just there randomly um mm. so it's quite nice because that's the only time as well that i can that i hear his voice subconsciously too um hear his voice hear his laugh because i can only imagine that now um i can't really bring myself to to listening to um uh, sorry i mean like watching videos or anything um so to hear his voice in my dreams is quite nice yeah it sounds lovely really lovely <laughs> and i and i just wonder when you wake up every morning because there's this saying that goes in the grief community it happens every day or you know the person you loved has died you wake up every morning and it's like you're going through it yep. again again and again <laughs> oh god tell me about it i am at a level where generally I can function that doesn't mean that I won't have days where I can't function um or days where I won't break down or days where I'm not shocked but on I can live my life on a day-to-day -day basis without waking up and him being the very first thought um but I do think about him you know maybe like 10 minutes later usually because you know when I'm saying my affirmations first thing in the morning or obviously like I've got pictures of him that I have no choice but to look at as soon as I wake up because of where they're placed. Um, so, yeah, he's still an integral part of my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, it's a healing thing, isn't it? Um, mm. It's the same with my mum. There was a time that where it was always at the forefront. Now it's more, it's there in my head. It's there. Mm. And I'm, you're just carrying it. You, you're carrying it. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah it's like a rucksack. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I've seen an illustration about that. It's like carrying really? a suit- yeah, a suitcase or a bag. I think there's someone wrote a book about it. <laughs> you are literally <laughs> is in your suitcase when you go to work. Oh my god, no, it is. It is. People don't understand. Like it, it genuinely is. Oh god. Yeah, because you're not. You, it's people expect to see it. You know, I had a lot of that mm. at work. They're like, "Oh, you seem fine. You don't look like you're grieving. So you look fine." Exactly. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't bring my dark cloud of grief for you to see. Let me just pop home and get it. Kate's sakes. I know. Oh. And it's like, is that what you want? Do you want to see me upset? Do you want you know me to project my depression onto you? If that's what you want, I can give it to you. And people aren't ready for that. That's the thing. They yeah, they're even, not. Yeah, they wouldn't want to see that actually. So, <laughs> yeah, that's human beings for you. So this kind of now, <laughs> this kind of now brings me to. We're going to get a bit deeper into this. Um, mm-hmm. How would you describe, you know, reflection on finding out that your dad had a heart attack? For myself, and to an extent, I think, and um, my sister as well. I feel as though the grief. And the trauma that came with sudden death, Mm. it literally changed like the fabric of my personality. I feel, I feel like I changed as a person, something in me changed as a person from that moment. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Mm. I don't know, but it, it, a lot, a lot of things about me changed. Okay. Um, thinking about like where were you when you got that news I mean were, were you with, with your dad at the time um or were you studying no. where were you so um so I my sister and I had gone out to our friend's event um the night before and my dad had actually gone out um he used to hang out with his nephews, um, his older nephews, and they actually went on a night out the night before. Mm. Um, so I think there's pictures of them in that night as well. I think I don't know, they went to some pub somewhere or whatever they did. So they were having their boys' night out, and then they went back to my cousin's house, so his nephew. Um, so and and he he stayed there for the night. Um, and so I remember. I was in bed because we, we got the call around 6am really early, maybe five or six in the morning. Um, and I just remember hearing, I heard my mum shout, but there was something about it that woke me up because I thought, Hmm, that doesn't sound right. My mum, why, why would my mum be shouting at six in the morning? So, but I was still waking up. So, you know, know, when you hear like your parents shout, you think, Oh, shut up. But then, then I realized (laughs) what time it was. And I was like, no something's not not right about that so I was slowly waking up and then I remember hearing my sister like dash down the stairs and I heard the footsteps and I heard her running and I was like shit something's happened don't know what it is but something's happened um she came into my room and she was like in a panic she couldn't breathe she was like dad's collapsed dad's collapsed I was like what do you mean dad's collapsed he's fine um you know he's out you know he's sleeping whatever um she was like you know, no. And then I went upstairs and my mum was kind of sat up. She was putting her clothes on. They didn't actually tell us. Um, I think my cousins, obviously they didn't want to tell us over the phone. Um, so, but my there, there was just something about the atmosphere. I just, I just, I knew it. And I asked my sister, I said, did, did, did he die? Like what, what's going on? And she was like, I, I don't know. Just don't talk to me. I don't know. 
Um, and then so um, we had two foster children um, at the time. Um, they, they were quite young. Um, I think maybe like three and 11 or something, um, 10 okay. at the time. Um, so my cousin came round to pick them up and take them. And I thought there's just, there's a lot of panic in the air. There's a lot, there's something in this that doesn't feel right. So I went, I rushed upstairs to, to get dressed because we were obviously going up there. And I was, I remember talking to myself, like, no, 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 that's not true. Dad hasn't died, it's fine. We will be fine. And I was literally just saying, no, 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 constantly. Got dressed, longest cab ride ever across London to get there. I was calling all the hospitals. Um, none of them were answering. I thought, oh what, why, why is no one answering? What's happening? I was calling my cousins, no one's answering. You know, all my other siblings were calling my mum and like, no, and my mum just like, look, everyone just make your way here. And I just thought, what, what? I, I just didn't understand what was going on. So we got there, we, we scrambled out of the, the taxi. And my mum and my sister kind of went ahead. And I saw the, the paramedics didn't have the same sense of urgency that we had. Okay. Ahead, and I looked at one of them and I was like, did he die? And he just put his head down and nodded. And I screamed. I've never wailed so hard in my life. I thought, what? What do you mean? Like, it didn't, I, I just didn't understand. And so we got in the lift and we're all in hysterics. And the lift opens and my cousin's there. And he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it was just, it was, it was so surreal. And I, and I remember it now. We walked in and I refused to go in the room where he was but I kind of I saw him from the corner of my eye I was like you are taking the mick this this can't actually be real and you know everyone's there and everyone's crying you know the police were there because I think the police have to come if someone dies at home um and you know he's coming in he's like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss I was like who are you talking to I haven't lost like this I didn't I didn't get what was I still didn't get it I was like well, you know, maybe you guys should, you know, keep trying to resuscitate. Just do what you need to do because this can't happen. But obviously it did happen. And I can hear everyone in the room just sitting with him and wailing. And I just sat in the other room and cried. Um, and I remember, <clears throat> sorry, I remember later on in the day, I, I don't know how much later it was, to be honest, time, time is a blur. Um, but the hardest part, I think, about that day for me was when the I don't know who it is but whoever took him away took him away and I kind of saw him be like zipped up in a black body bag and being oh, wheeled out and I thought I oh. thought oh my god it was it was horrible and I think that's probably that's probably the most traumatic part of that day for me because it just someone who means so much to you you think, how dare you pick up my dad and put him, zip him up in a black bag? I know he wasn't alive, but I thought, well, how's he going to breathe? I, I was literally thinking all these things like, what are they going to do to him? Where are they taking him? You know, like that's that's my whole life in a bag and that's a person. Mm. It didn't, it, 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 it just didn't make sense. And I think the average person would struggle to see that. The average person would struggle to, to even fathom the thought. So, you know, even for anyone listening, like if you, I can't even picture anyone else that I love who is alive in that position. I think, God, that's, that's, that's horrible. 
it really is and it's horrible when you you don't expect it as well um mm. yeah I mean my dad was fit my dad was healthy um active you know he was on he was on a lad's night out yes he was 71 but at the same time he was probably more fit than me he used to not exercise every day but go on his walkabouts like nothing so it was so so sudden and yeah that day I'm surprised I got through that without crying to be honest um but that was a day and I think coming home and then realizing that this this is life you know he wasn't ever going to walk through those doors again that was hard um but it was it was you know it was a very strange experience and yeah the guilt that comes with not not being there with him not being able to say goodbye um obviously thinking mm. about um do you feel like you were uh, robbed robbed of a goodbye because it was so sudden i think I do think I was robbed of the goodbye uh, on one hand, but I always think to myself, not having a chance to say goodbye, you know, was, is that a blessing or is that a curse? Because I feel, I feel as though sometimes the shock of it, if it had to be done, it got done. I don't know how I would have felt if I was in a position, for instance, where, you know, my dad was really ill and I had to watch him deteriorate and, mm. you know, we planned to say goodbye and it was like, okay, everyone gather around. This is going to happen now. I think even, I can't even imagine how, how people who have experienced that would feel. Um, at the same time, it would have been nice. Um, there are small th things I'm grateful for as, you know, weird as it might, might sound. I'm grateful that it didn't happen in my house because we would have had to move houses. I couldn't have lived there. But then that's, that's horrible to say because my cousin, still has to live in his house um where my dad passed away um but yeah I would have loved to have said goodbye um mm. uh, yeah or, or even if I was there if it was that sudden but I was there whilst it happened so you know I was able to hold his hand or just something I think I I feel bad you know just knowing that his last images were just probably you know paramedics pumping his chest like that's probably the last thing that he ever saw and I feel very guilty about that. I feel, you know, I feel like he would have wanted, you know, his wife and his kids to be there as much as he was with people who he, he loved and adored. You know, sometimes I do feel like, oh, maybe I could have, I don't know, spoken life into him or something. You know, here are people who hold on when they hear the voices of people that they love. I think, you know, if I was there, you know, maybe he would have held on a bit longer. Maybe he would have, maybe he would have made it. Who knows? Mm. Um but those are what ifs that will never be answered. Mm, absolutely. Um, there are a lot of what ifs in a grief process when you are not able to say goodbye um, and when something happens away from home. Uh, I definitely had them when my dad died and I hear you mm. when you say you're not sure if it's a, a blessing or a curse and mm. it could be both and I think sometimes that's really hard to reconcile in your head and you you may never reconcile it but just sort of come to an agreement of what it is yeah um and, uh, and I think that's it it just at, at this point it's kind of like it is you know it, it is what it is ultimately I can't I can't I can't look back I can't change anything that's happened so I just have to deal with what's been put before me unfortunately mm. Yeah, I hear you. Mm. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, 
you know, it can sometimes be hard to go back and sort of retrace so that experience. Um, but I really appreciate you sharing so openly. Um, which kind of Thank you. no, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm just kind of curious, um, if you're able, what was the day of the funeral like itself? Um did you organize it or yes, very much so. Um so it was myself and my closest sister. Mm. um really who did who did most of it um my mum my mum dealt with I guess more of the legal or admin side of things um but when it came down to you know logistics um the reception the order of service you know things like that um it was really me and my sister who who did everything um I wrote the eulogy with the help of my mum Mm. um but one of my sisters actually read this on on the day um I didn't I didn't think I would be able to um but she she did an amazing job um so yeah plans plans a lot of it the, the day itself was was really surreal and beautiful um and I think that's the only way I can describe it um we had horses um used to love horses so we had horses that looked very regal. Um, mm-hmm. Hundreds of people were there. It was packed, and I was so overwhelmed. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting it. I still. I still didn't believe that it was my dad. I didn't believe that it was the end of of that story. Um, even looking back now, it was because the the build up to the funeral was such a blur, and it was like I said, very militant. People. I think a lot of people don't realise that, like I said, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to do when someone dies. Not only do you have to plan the funeral, you have to yeah. get their affairs in order. Um, exactly. A lot of admin. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of admin. It's like, oh, give me a break. Um, so it was, you know, go, go, go. It was like planning event of the century. Um, and, you know, that happened and the day came. And it's almost like, do you know when you've put so much effort into something and you've planned something, on the day I was I wasn't really yes I cried of course I cried but I wasn't I wasn't really thinking about grief I was thinking right so is everything good in the reception right is the food there right is the food good um is everything in order is the tech at the reception hall in order da, 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 da. this 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 is that and the next so I wasn't I, I didn't really have the chance to be present as much as I would have liked um I don't know if that's the control freak in me or if it was just I wanted to make sure the send-off was was perfect um but I think it didn't really hit me until the end of the day. So typical, you know, to how my family is, the reception kind of turned into a bit of a party. Um, so I remember, you know, everyone's dancing, they're having a good time, like literally just as he would have liked. Um, and I sat down and I was like, where's dad? Expecting to see him like on the dance floor. And I was, I was genuinely confused for a second. I was like, where's dad? And then my heart literally sank and I was like, oh my God, I know where he is. Like we literally, we just buried him. And that's, I think, post-funeral, that was when it really hit me that this was going to be my new normal. Mm. And I thought that that was a really difficult moment for me, kind of just because I genuinely forgot where I was. I was so caught up in, you know, making sure that everything was going smoothly and just the day I don't I don't even know where I thought I was to be honest you're distracted yeah very distracted I was you know making sure my mum's okay 
you know, making, like I said, making sure everything's in order, putting on a brave face. Um, and then in that moment, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that was a hard moment for me. Sounds very hard. Hmm. I guess it becomes a reality that, oh, my dad did die and I just buried him. Yeah, a very strange reality because I think it hit me especially hard because I've never experienced grief before. So this is my first experience of grief. I mean, um, it's quite a, it's quite a heavy one to experience as your first one, not that any is easier than the other, but um, I've, you know, I've, I've had a grandma pass away and and an auntie pass away. And, and obviously I was very upset, but I was a young child and they weren't there every day. Um, mm. so obviously it still meant something to me, but you know, it, it just wasn't the same, quite frankly. No. Um, no, and your dad is your dad and he was yeah. an important part of your life and you only have one dad. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear so, you. Yeah. That made it difficult. Um, but, um, we didn't actually record, um, the funeral cause we spoke about it before. We were like, it's a bit weird. Isn't it a bit, a bit weird to kind of, video a funeral um but we did take pictures but you know me and my sister speak sometimes and we do say that we do regret not having it filmed um not that it would have been nice to watch it but I think I would have liked to have the option so I definitely regret that okay that's really interesting I don't think that's Mm. something we haven't well we haven't explored that on the podcast I do hear people uh, recording funerals and I know that that happened a lot during this pandemic because uh, yes yeah, of course because we couldn't mm. attend them um yeah. okay so you're quite firm on that you regret that so how do you kind of is is that something you just realize you know that was a decision you made at the time and so yeah I, I can't hold on to it um mm. too much because again it, it, I can't change it you know the day's gone I just have to make sure um I cherish what memories I do have of it and um I remember quite quite a bit of it so I'm happy about that um I think I've still got the order of service somewhere so funnily I say that but I don't think I've actually looked at it since but I know I have it there Mm. so if I wanted to get it and remember the day then I could yeah well Abigail you have a wealth of memories um, of of your dad um and it's been really lovely to hear about your dad and this kind of now takes me to I'm a bit curious to know what was the support like for you in the aftermath I know you had your breakdown six months down the line but did you see a counsellor um I did I had um bereavement counselling I think maybe it was before I went traveling so yeah so call it around the sixth to eight month mark or something like that um I did have a course of bereavement counseling um was it useful I guess it wasn't if I have to think about it that hard um I think I think it was nice to speak to someone um disconnected from my situation um because I did find it quite difficult to speak to my friends and family sometimes Mm. um so it was nice to speak to someone who was completely unrelated um you know, I, I guess it helped when I was there. Did I take away the things that I learned? Probably not. Um, but for what it was worth at the time, it, you know, it, it was a nice outlet for an hour or so every week. Okay. And how did you go about that counselling? Was it through NHS or private? 
Um, yeah, it was NHS actually. I think they they recommended it to me. Um, you know, obviously I went, like I said, I went to the GP um, before I signed off work. Mm. Um, and I think they recommended it to me and put me on the waiting list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was okay. Mm. Would you say travelling was more of a therapy than cancelling or? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, cancelling is very hit and miss, I think. Um, I, I think it can be what some people really really need and I think it can be the saving grace for a lot of people Mm. um but I think for me it just wasn't that I think maybe that's because of how I was grieving and I was very much stubborn and I was very much like well I have one problem and that problem is that my dad has passed away and there's one solution to that and that solution is for him to come back and nobody (laughs) can give me that yeah (laughs) so I yeah, I just thought, well, what, what am I doing sitting sitting down talking to this woman who has no idea about anything, telling me how to deal with it? I just didn't really, I just didn't really see how it would benefit me. But that was me being ignorant and just me being, you know, just caught up in my own emotions. I think I would still recommend counselling to people who are who are grieving a hundred percent. But for me, where my head was at at that time, it. It wasn't that beneficial, but it was nice. But yeah, the travelling definitely did it for me. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, and I hear you about the timing. I think with therapy, uh, timing is important and perhaps Mm. that just was not the right time for you. Um, And so you went travelling and I love that. I absolutely love that (laughs) part of your experience because I can resonate with that. Um, But I just want to ask one more question because I am curious to know. I'm a bit nosy like that. Um, (laughs) One thing that we talked about a lot on this podcast is who your therapist is and whether it matters. So I was on Clubhouse Mm -hmm. recently, which is like this new audio social media application that people are on that have an iPhone. Mm. um, Oh, yeah, Clubhouse, yeah. Yeah, so are you on there or? No, Android gang. Oh, okay. All right. Um, it's probably not a bad thing. It can get a bit toxic at times on there, like any social I've media heard. App, um, mm. social media app. But um, very controversial. But I did host a room in there with two of my former guests that host a podcast, and we were curious to know whether the race or identity of your therapist matters. Uh, you know, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole because I know it's a bit of a loaded question. We no, can- we can. <laughs> we did conclude you know me. <laughs> we we did conclude yes and no it does matter but i'm i'd be interested in your perspective does it matter to you yes <laughs> is my answer um Straight i can away. expand briefly i think um for me someone you can identify with in the midst of an experience that is as isolating as grief is why why would you not want to sit in front of someone who who you know looks like you or maybe speaks like you and someone you can just speak to on a level and just be yourself with and I think I don't know if that's more well no it is more of an issue obviously for for me as a black woman um feeling as though I don't fit into certain spaces or that I have to um you know, be palatable for certain people. Um, but I just have to, you know, play the game. And that's tiring. I had to do that at work every day, being the only black woman, being the youngest in the team. Um, that's horrible. Yeah. 
it's exhausting. <laughs> but if yeah exactly so very exhausting so why when I'm coming into a healing space would I want to then go and do that again and I think it just having that element of relatability you know that, that's not to say that I relate to every single black person and automatically any other black woman I will relate to because you know there there's more to me than my race and there's more to every black woman than their race it's just a very big part of our identity but if I can have that that level playing field then why would I opt not to um and I don't and I do think that depending on your experience of grief um there may be issues of perhaps race surrounding the manner in which um, your loved one has passed away. I'm very lucky because I, I believe that that's not an issue for me. Um, I don't believe that my dad, luckily, I don't believe that my dad received, you know, poor care or, or anything like that. So I don't have that added layer of the battle, but I know that I'm very lucky and a lot of people in my shoes don't have that luxury um yeah the, in the long and short bit it, it does matter to me it matters and I think I, I was luckily I was I received therapy from a black woman um okay and even just I don't know that that unspoken answer that unspoken you know like head nod that you give just that unspoken kind of sense of appreciation or like you know I'm here, I see you, I appreciate you, like, we're going through the same thing, you know, you walk into a room, there's only two black women in the room, you give each other a little smile, a little nod, you just, you just know what's going on, and I mm. feel as though, like, um, white people probably don't ever have that, or they've, they've never felt that way, but for us, I think it, it's different, and it was lovely to walk into that room and see her and just feel like, oh, one less battle, I can just be myself um so yeah it was really important for me absolutely I'm glad that on the NHS that you your therapist was a black woman mm. uh, um because sometimes they can just allocate you to anyone and they don't take these things into account yeah uh, being witnessed is really important as you say that unspoken yes element is mm. really essential um and yeah, I think it's it definitely is an ongoing conversation that we all need to keep having about whether that matters or not. Um, and mm, I and I know definitely. that some of us have said yes and no. It really depends on the context. But um, thank you for sharing. Really, really appreciate it. Yes. I, I think my <laughs> listeners will get a lot of value from that. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So this is bringing us very soon to close today's episode. And before we do, I would love to know what is the one thing you want people to know about grief? I'll just say that my view is that grief changes people. Grief changes your personality. Grief changes your outlook on life. Grief changes your sense of existence and worth I think um so that's what I would want people to know about grief and I would just hope that people were patient um and kind and um, with their friends or family members who have lost someone um there's a lot of awkwardness um surrounding conversations about grief 
um, I experienced a lot of um, just miscommunications with my friends. Um, and yeah, I just wish people were, obviously you have to be sensitive, but don't tiptoe around the person grieving. Don't make them feel like they're a burden. Um, don't make them feel as though, don't, don't be awkward. Um, that's one of the most challenging things that I found is just people, I felt like people were walking on, on eggshells um, around me because they, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to say it. And I think, yeah, be sensitive, but, but just be normal. Um, I don't want to be treated differently because I, um, you know, I now have lost someone and you don't know how to deal with that because hello, I don't know how to deal with it either. So just, just, just be there for me. Um, and yeah, just understanding that your friends will be different if they, they've experienced that. Like um, in terms of empathy, um, I felt as though when, when I lost my dad, I, I lost, I lost a bit of my empathetic nature. Um, and I had a problem um, just, just having sympathy or empathy for other people and their problems. Um, Cause to me, obviously my world had crumbled and here, bring other people's problems I thought oh god let's swap them shall we you know I'd love to I'd love to have that problem I'd love if you know my husband had annoyed me you know I'd, I'd love if you know I had any other problem but the problem I had um so I think yeah if you feel as though maybe your friend who's experienced grief has become a bit more insensitive um be patient you know it's not an excuse you know to be a brat or anything but just just try and understand try and put yourself um in their shoes um yeah just be considerate mm. you're very kind I have to say I <laughs> <laughs> I've changed a lot and I resonate with what you're saying there a lot of wisdom and reflection thank mm. you but I'm very cutthroat these days and I'll shut it down really? I do not have time for trivial things and I hear you Ooh. what you say about that but you've just shared some a very strong reflection and wisdom there thank you very much oh that's okay absolutely well what was your dad's name joe, joe. joseph but we everyone called him joe and would you like to share a favorite memory i'm sure you have many but anything that sticks to mind oh so many um do you know what i won't share a memory in particular it's just about his personality i'm just gonna say his dancing and his banter, like he, um, he could dance for days and he was just hilarious. I don't want to call my dad a clown, but you know, <laughs> you know, just typical joker, class clown. Everyone loved him. He knew everyone loved him. He was just, you know, like the biggest character in, in every single room. He would just fill it completely, just full of charisma, full of confidence, um, just cheeky yeah like he was just he was just an amazing person I know everyone says that about people who pass away but honestly he was the glue of not only the immediate family but the wider family as well um and I think it speaks for itself because you know I'm not going to say the family's fallen apart since he's, he's passed away but it's different and there's a reason for that because he was everything um but yeah like just a massive soul massive life 
um so that's that's just my favorite thing about him in general well abigail thank you so much for sharing and you know talking to me about your lovely dad i've really appreciated your time today um, thank you so much for having me thank <laughs> you're so, you you're so welcome it's great to have these open conversations mm, definitely do you want to plug any kind of charities or projects or how people can reach you on social media? Any, is there anything that you're working um, on? I'm not working with any, you know, initiatives or groups in particular at the moment. Um, I am working on compiling um, basically a book of, of anecdotes, I guess you could say, um, just because um, similar to, to this forum, I think it would be really powerful to have this, in a written version or it could be really powerful to have this in a written version too and um, so I'd like to um, help people speak about their experiences with grief um, so it's still in the works still all being drafted um, but if anyone does want any more information or they want to get involved or contact me or even if you just want to speak to me um, you know you might have experienced grief you might want you know a friendly face to just have a chat with I'm literally always 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 happy to do that I wish I had that um, in my early stages of grief so my Instagram is at Zilla underscore 93 and um, so that's Z-I-L-L-A underscore 93 um, send me a DM yeah I'm nice love i <laughs> oh, love it you are very nice i've really enjoyed oh, this <laughs> i've loved this conversation today and i've just you know really loved being present in in hearing your experiences and i relate so much it's oh. it's been a nice way to end the week oh honestly it's been lovely thank you so much i am um, i don't actually want it to end i feel like i've um see i'm still talking <laughs> like i said to you before i've never I haven't really had many open conversations about this. So it's been really lovely. Um, you've been a pleasure, honestly. Well, it's never the end in Bereavement Room. I know it's the final <laughs> season, but there will always be something going on or something I'll be working on. And I'm really excited to hear more about your book that you're putting together. So let's absolutely stay in touch. 100%. Absolutely. And I like to close with gratitude. So one thing that we're grateful for in the here and now, I'm going to go first and then pass the mic over to you. Yes. I'd just like to say a massive thank you to everyone that's helped support my podcast um, for sponsoring this final season. It has honestly taken me down a path that I never saw coming and it's kind of escalated into something that I wasn't expecting either. It's been very, very healing and incredible journey. And so I am grateful to each and every one of you, all of the supporters, listeners, my former guests and future guests. And that's me on gratitude today. I pass the mic over to you, Abigail. Thank you. I think the one thing I'm grateful for now is is love. Um, I think what you said earlier really resonated with me, um, that grief is love. Um, you have these strong emotions of grief because of the love that you had for the person who's gone. And I think I am so lucky to have had such a beautiful relationship with my dad and to have had such an amazing dad Um and yeah, just the other people in my life right now who I love and who love me. That's what life's about. Um, that's what you have when you go. Um, that's what you cling on to and what your family and friends cling on to. So I'm so happy for that. 
That was Abigail Chewitt. She joined me in the room to talk about her father, who died suddenly in 2016. A wonderful tribute to her dad on Father's Day and to all the dads that are no longer with us. You know, it really brought tears to my eyes as I was listening back to the conversation. There was a moment there in the recording where she openly reflected that when her father died, she asked herself, well, what's my purpose now? He was the most integral person in my life. What do I do now? Which followed with thoughts of suicide ideation, something that I know many of us will relate to. To everyone that tuned in, thank you so much for listening. Let's wish Abby love and continued success because she is very successful. She went to the bar in 2016. Well, that's all I've got, folks. Until next time, take good care of yourself. I am your host, Colsima Ali.